Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the pile looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the kitchen five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you die for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep. Huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach. Huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggle might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. You could watch it or you could live it, you know, and it's 
guys such as yourself, you know, I mean, you've been in the trenches. You know what I'm saying? You've been in the trenches, and and you didn't let circumstances stop you. And uh, I hope our listeners can can hear your story and and, and resonate from that. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I hope it touches a lot of uh, a lot of hearts. Um, but I I, I want to put out there, you know, everything is from God, as they say. If not for the grace of God, because I'm I'm nothing special. There are millions of people like me out there, different colors, races, and creeds. So. The things I just was fortunate enough to be in a position to put it put it in print. I read a couple things that 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 you said, a couple quotes, man, that I thought was very powerful too. You know, definitely jewels, and and they were just because you are from the ghetto doesn't mean you have to stay in the ghetto, and even though you're born a ghetto bastard, it doesn't mean you have to act like one. Uh, ghetto is just not a place It's a mindset And I, and I totally agree with that one um, Those are strong words, man So let's talk about your book, man uh, Or should I say okay, your series? Okay. You, you, have, you have more than one so, um, Yeah, and I'm writing number four right now <laughs> <laughs> Called The American Dream <laughs> Ghetto Bastard for The American Dream Oh, yeah you know, I'm going to show that uh, that you can you can achieve the American dream no matter where you come from. You know, even though all the odds are you know uh, piled against you, you know, perseverance and always moving forward. You know, you know, like they say, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You don't have to think of the whole journey. You know, uh, as a as a result, but let's. Let's make it a goal to get there and just take one step at a time. And sooner, and and just, what have we say, keep your head down and just keep, my wife and I say, keep doing the grind just every day. And the sooner or later you're going to get to your destination. Absolutely, absolutely. Russell, let's do this, man. Tell our listeners uh, a little about, uh, I guess a little bit more about who you are, where you come from, and how did you get on your journey to even start to write your first um, book? All right. Well, of course, everybody, my name is Russell Van, uh, two S's, two L's, and uh, V-A-N-N. And uh, well, I was born in uh, the My Haven section of the South Bronx. I don't know how many people are aware of that, but um, it's right across the street from Harlem, right across the bridge from Harlem. And at that, it was 1968. So at that time, it was one of the most, at that time now, one of the most drug-infested, uh, heroin-addicted you know, areas uh, in the world, uh, in New York City, especially. You know how the, the, the uh, um, New York City was in the early 70s and late 60s. Right. And right. I was, um, I was. I came out of an unholy union, should we say. My mother and father were teenagers. Uh, she had a boyfriend. He was a, a young hustler. He was from Queens. She was from the Bronx. I guess they met at a pool party or something like that. And, you know, I guess she was seeing him on the side when she was seeing this other guy. And then, of course, when I was born, uh, she, she might have been pregnant at 17. I was 18 when she was born, when I was born. So 
and she came from a broken home also, so nobody uh, wanted to take responsibility from so I don't know who they were. Some kind of, I guess back in the days, they used to have people that take care of kids for you and stuff like that. And I was abused there, you know, physically abused there. And my mother, I mean, I guess she just wasn't ready for a kid. My father was in jail at the time I was born, I think. And there was just, there was no, I was, I was just everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. She would leave me any place with anybody, my mother, to the point that, um, my great grandmother. Now this is so. Hello. Ah. I guess something happened to uh, the gentleman's call, so I am sure he's going to be calling back in just a second here. So hang on. We're going to go to a commercial break, and we will be right back. Can a player play sex, love, relationships, and politics? Hosted by Lamont and Diddy Patterson. Every Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join in in the conversation. Call 646-929-2870. Go up online to worldmovement.com and ask yourself, can a player... I'm on the queue. Yeah, we're back. Hello? Russell Van. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, man. You just was gone, but it's okay. You're back. Then where did I leave off? Did you get me at my great grandmother yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you saying that your great grandmother, you know, she she was the queen that raised you. Okay, yeah, so she stepped in, which it th- that tells you about the dynamics of being a ghetto bastard because I'm the epitome of it, and that you you should have two sets of grandparents before a third grandparent steps in. So she stepped in. Raised me in the ghetto, a lot of old school values, which I'm grateful for. And just to show you how appreciative um, I am of her, she was also taking care of her elderly mother. She was about 60 at the time. She was taking care of her elderly mother, and she was married and working a full-time job at the time as a waitress and took in a four-year-old. So, um, and of course... um, if anyone knows the ghetto, uh, all the attributes of the ghetto, should I say, were present. And this was a single, not you know, in a sense, because um, her husband didn't really take part in my upbringing or anything like that. And they got separated after a short time. But she taught me a lot of old school values. And uh, so raised in the ghetto, she sent me to boarding school. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to make sure we don't cut off. Oh, and, no, we uh, could. Okay. <laughs> and I got my wife listening, too, so if it cuts off, she comes in and says, hey, I can't hear you anymore. So, Because <laughs> I would have kept on talking. It's a whole lot of wives all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and, uh, so I got into a lot of different things because of – I. 
now, at the age that I am now, I can understand it. When you grow up in the ghetto and you don't have a father, TV and the streets and the movies are your guides. When I grew up, my interpretation or my impression of being a man was Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, Jim Kelly, you know, Ron O'Neill, Richard Roundtree, uh, you know, all of those guys, that that masculine type of that <laughs> okay. narrative. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of women, big guns, big cars. That was the narrative. I mean and, and it's so ironic because, you know, that's the poison that's fed to us. But ironically it's transferred it's the same narrative, a little bit differently told, but now it's through the music. It's more through the music and the videos and the rappers and it's giving out that negative uh, imagery that the fatherless, which is what I was, are trying to imitate because no matter what, all most young men are trying to imitate some type of masculinity. They're trying to relate to something. So that was what I was trying to relate to. And um, let me see, what else can I tell you about? So I did, I never never went to jail, not, never got into any trouble like that only by the grace of God, because I did a lot of illegal actions. But one of the main factors for me not going to jail was my grandmother said, if you go to jail, I'm not coming to get you. (laughs) Yeah, that was a little bit of a deterrent. (laughs) And, and I knew in in the salon, and and now I can laugh at it, but when you're younger, you can't laugh at it. I knew that nobody else cared about me. I knew nobody else loved me. So if she wasn't coming to get me, nobody was coming to get me. And I didn't want to go to jail. And back then, you know, all you heard about jail was either you was getting shanked or screwed. You understand? Know what are the others? So, you know, that scared you to death as a child. So I always remember that. And I always remembered in my mind thinking as I was growing up, I really didn't want to disappoint her. I wanted to be, you know, a success for her. Now, I made a lot of dumb mistakes and a lot of dumb moves that I'm sure she shook her head sometimes, but uh, I just believe through her guidance, well, God, first of all, but through her guidance and the way that she raised me, um, just just changed the direction I had in life. But so what's so crazy, though, is she was about 60, maybe a little older, a little younger, when she took me in. I loved her to death. You, She could walk on water, if you ask me, but her daughter... Her son, they hated her. Funny how that so, is, isn't it? Yes, yes, they hated her. Hate, and they told me so after she died. You know, hated her, the way they treated her. And, uh, she, you know, it, it's just miraculous. But a lot of my life and a lot of the way I treat my children, the way I treat my grandchildren are based on the way that, you know, uh, she treated me, you know, and the sacrifices that she made. So that treats me. But a lot of people from the ghetto, young black men, don't have that guidance. A lot of young black men from the ghetto are raised by single mothers. Now, even though a lot of them are strong single women, a lot of them are also bitter single women. And a lot of the resentments that they have towards the different fathers or father is taken out on that child. And when that child doesn't have that balance of the mother and the father, there's treacherous results. So 
you know, I, I just had a mix of a lot of that. And uh, what was so great, and the one thing about my book that a lot of t- people, when they've seen the title because it's such a sensational title, they think it's one way, and then when they read it, they they see, wow, this is about life. This is a story about life itself. It's not this. It's not this glorification or this narrative that you know the media sells or the TV sells. It's about true life. It humanizes people from the ghetto, you know, because there's a whole you, lot of ghettos. What did you think about the title of uh, the name of this show? Can I play? Well, I mean. You could have a title. First, I didn't know what to expect from it. So I just took it and said, hey, listen, let me get out there and let me just talk. Because what one thing I believe, especially as a writer, I believe that everybody should be able to communicate any way they want to. Okay? Now, well, my... The reason I asked you that is because you you made a you made an example, and I was just saying the name of the show is "Can a Play a Play," which in my mind is also thought provoking. Uh, that's why I reach out for guys like you, the guys that have a testimony, a story that can help you know other people. You know, I talk to other you know CEOs of other corporations, uh, you know, other self help organizations, but. That's what this whole thing about. Can a player play? Can can the guys that's really calling the shots, making moves, doing stuff productive and helpful in the community? I think that's what that's how I came up with the name. But anyway, mm-hmm. I just well, share that. Yeah, hey, but we playing that life though. You know what I mean? So a a, a player is I guess it's, it's it's just a thing on words. A player, if you're using the power for good. What's mad with it? But some might, people like what you said, it might have put in a negative connotation saying, oh, a player is someone who plays women or hustles or this, that, and everything. But that's not necessarily. Usually a player is like somebody that's going for his, somebody that's, you know, seeing like it has, doing what they got to do, striving to get ahead, you know, doing what they got to do. Go on, player. You know what I mean? It's all with the way that you say it. It's all with the way the tone that you project it. You know what I mean? So, hey. When you look at, when you look at the news and look at an politicians, Every day, what are they doing? They playing politics. Playing words. Yeah, <laughs> playing with words. I can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> I hope nobody's listening and go, you know, black no, me man, or something. Look, but, look, I mean, listen, no, I, 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 they, I, they I need mean, to hear it, boy, because <laughs> politicians ain't no joke, man. I wish they started think, having to pay, pay for gas like we do. And then they'll stop but you want to know something what's so funny, uh, Mr. Patterson, is that they are smart people. They're not dumb people because if you sit down and you see them in certain press conferences or certain interviews, they're, they're, they're spinning the questions. They're answering the questions. They're going into the lion's den, but they, they've got their, their, their lies and their narratives so practiced and so complete. So they're very smart people. It's just that they have some well, serious well intentions. Yeah, but how well do you play chess? Because that's all video, I see. That's all. That's that's all I see them doing. That's absolutely what they do. It, but the whole thing is, we as this class of people, this level of people, we're not even in the game. 
And with Man, chess, that's, that's you got to be we able to get. Hey, look, we don't right. even get to be a. We don't even get to be a pawn, man. <laughs> we ain't a pawn or nothing. We, you just looking for the scraps. We just looking at the scraps coming down because they sitting there behind these. Because we're sitting there watching the stuff. I mean, we're not blind. We're not stupid. Yeah. You understand? But they'll sit there and tell you, you know, like they say, they had that old expression, you know, don't don't piss on me and call it sun drops or something like that. Something in that, you know, you know, way of of thinking. And they're sitting there, and you look at them, and you know they're telling lies, and you know they're exploiting stuff. They're sitting here signing $740 billion for this. They're sending $40 billion, you know, over to Ukraine as well. They sent $80 billion over to Ukraine that we know about. And then you turn around, and you look, and you go to Skid Row, and you see how these people are living. Or you go to any city in the United States, a major city in the United States, and you got homeless people. Whatever issues they have, drug drug issues, home, you know, mental health issues, whatever issues. But you got all that money to send all of these countries to make sure these people is all right to fight wars right. and give weapons and stuff like that. Hey, but, but you can't did, make sure that you peep, people. Did you peep the big lie though, Mister Van? The big lie. The big lie. Uh, America, United States is not involved in that war. That's the big lie. How can they say that you're sending them weapons? Are you sending them money? You know what I mean? But this is Don't all. Don't you hear it on the news every day? Every day. Don't you hear it on the news every day? Every day? It's between Ukraine and Russia. And Putin yeah, said from the very beginning, if you send in arms, ammunition, and money to my enemy, you're in the war. Of course, but see, this goes back. This, but this is common sense here. But you so, but see, this is a distraction. All of these things are distractions. Now, sometimes I'm sitting, I'm going. Because I'm not in the game, and like you said, it's a chess game. I absolutely agree with that. But I don't think we're in the game because when you when you playing chess, you're looking at your opponent and you're trying to go moves above him, and you know how many moves ahead of him to get his piece, blah blah blah. In this game that they playing, we're so consumed with all of the of the distractions, we can't see what they're doing. You know what I mean? We don't have no idea on what level and. These people, you got to remember, you're dealing with evil, okay? You're not dealing with regular people. You're dealing with evil. You're talking about evil people that will take out an airplane of 250 people just to kill one type of evil people. You know what I mean? That, that mentality. So we're not even on no level. So what we have to understand, and I think my book talks about this because we come where, where I come from, or people like me, where we come from, we come from the epitome of where these people think we are nothing right is you have to be responsible for yourself you have to know within your heart as you moving on in life and how you're treating people that you're doing the right thing now i'm not going to say you're not going to make mistakes because we all make mistakes i'm not going to say in my youth i have not done things that here in my 50s, I'm sitting back going, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, thinking differently. But the thing is, in life, it's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as you learn from them. And I want my books to say that to people, all, all, all creeds and colors, because ghetto don't necessarily just mean black and Hispanic poor people, okay, because it's ghettos and white neighborhoods too. They're called trailer parks, okay. They're just poor differently, but we're still human beings, and what happens is we become statistics instead of human beings. And I think what my, my, my Ghetto Bastard series 
does is humanize the statistics. Because when you so, hear ten people got shot in Chicago, five people got shot over here, two people they're more than just people. We're human beings. Go ahead, I'm sorry, sir. I don't mean to be blabbering. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's fine, man. That's fine. I was gonna ask you though, um in writing uh starting writing your ghetto bastard series what would you feel was your uh main motivation i mean was it just your experience from uh your life you know i agree we all are a product of our environment uh to a certain extent but uh what was your motivators the main one my motivation was therapy because in life and a lot of things that you go through Sometimes you carry a lot of anger, and you don't understand that you're carrying it around. We think that anger is just that straight-out explosive anger, that that's the only anger that you got. No, you'll be carrying anger around from the stuff that people then did to you when you were younger. And then what's crazy is people do those things to you when you're younger, and then you got to be around them when you're older, and you're still carrying around that anger. And at some point in time, if it's not, uh, expressed, it's going to explode. And uh, I was working in, a, in an environment that was only adding to my anger. So at a point, I needed to seek, seek some therapy. So I started seeing this therapist, you know, like once a week. And after I told out, it was so crazy. It's like, I think that everything is in God's plan. But this guy told me a thousand things. And I said a thousand things to him. But after I told him my story, the one thing he said stuck in my head. He said, you know what? You should write a book. <laughs> and that stuck <laughs> in my head. I remember nothing else that dude said. <laughs> but you should write a book. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I should write a book. And a lot of different stuff happened. I got hustled a little bit. But I thought, then one day I just said to myself, you know what? I could do this. Nobody's going to be able to put down what I'm feeling and where I've come from better than me. Right. And that's how it started. And it just went from there, man. And um, and my wife was just the greatest for us because I've been with her since I was 15. I don't know if you read the book, but, you know, the ghetto bastards also a love story. So this also is showing my wife and I, we just talking. I know I've been in a relationship with her for 40 years. Wow. And, yeah, man, I love her to death. You know what I'm saying? I ain't tired of her nothing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, but she's stuck with your butt. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Little thick and thin. Yes. And, man, and, and this book thing, she says, like, I'm the writer, but, man, she's everything behind it. You know, the handler she does it when we do the book fairs and, and go to the book shows and stuff like that. And which, I mean, and that's why I really got out there and really realized, wow, this is something here. She set all that up. I was like, man, I don't go no book fairs, man. I just want to sit here and write. I just want to, and man, yo, you got to go out there. You got to meet people. You got to talk. She says, you're a talker. You're charismatic. She's telling me all the stuff that I didn't believe in myself. Like, you know, you could right. just be doing stuff and don't realize that you have a talent. She's telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, you're my wife. You're going to tell me anything. You know what I mean? But, man, I got out there, and I went to these different book shows and these different tours, and what's so crazy is it wasn't just black people that was coming up to me. White people was coming up and talking like, you got to be able to talk. You just be, you just can't sit there and be like, here, buy my book, buy my book, you know? And you had to sit there, and you had to talk to them, and you had to communicate, and you had to be able to be articulate. 
and really and, and it was something all types of people were coming up and talking to me and, and reading the book and buying the book all John all colors shapes sizes Asian black white everything and I was like wow this is really this is something this is really you know I've been myself I'm going this is God's plan but you know COVID kind of shut me down there for a while so now I'm just waiting for everything to kind of get lifted and I'm hoping to try to try to go international you know I want to start getting getting into Canada and stuff like that and getting across the country because it was it I, I had a real good audience the only thing that I was missing was the advertising and the marketing so what's good about print what's good about uh, uh, the, the, the literary business is that if it's in print it's always going to be there so right. now you know it's something to, to fall back on something that I can start putting more into and, and that's why I'm doing these interviews also and, and just getting the word out there and, and like I said being a motivational person but I'm not a motivational speaker but I'm just telling people listen why, why, why you know, would you say I'm, that first of all I'm not trained as a I'm just saying I'm a survivor that's all I'm well, a survivor well, I, I think that's the truest type <laughs> that's the truth man you may not agree well first of all let me say this show is heard worldwide so that's already international so that that's one part of it the second thing is you're already a motivational speaker man because there's people out there man that's going to hear what you're saying in your struggles, I'm telling you, and it's going to benefit them. So people don't necessarily learn from books. I'm not the one that learned a lot from the books, man, but I learned from living life, you know, and usually the lessons that I pay for are the ones that I retained. So <laughs> having said that, and I heard you a little while ago, but do you have a certain thing as a target audience? No, I have all people because it's a book about life. It's a book about, just because it's about ghetto, that's what people try to kind of dismiss us as human beings, unfortunately. But it's a book about life. It's a book about love. It's a book about dysfunctional relationships. You know, it it, 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 it just goes, and it goes through the different stages. It's going through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and it's different kind of people. And it just shows, you know, it, it 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 humanizes everybody. So I just think one it would kind of be if I was almost to describe it in a sense, I would say this is something that white people should read. If you wanted to say, uh, this is a book that all the questions white people wanted to ask people from the ghetto but were afraid to ask because you know we're closely on a sensitive uh, time now. But this is a book yeah. that. I think people from the outside of our culture can read and it would humanize us. I think people from the outside of our culture, because I even tell my wife sometimes, I said, man, put me on, get me on some, some white supremacist radio shows or something like that. I talk to them people. You know what I'm saying? Because when we get rid of the hate, when we get rid of the negativity, and we realize, man, you got problems too. Who was that guy? I just saw the, the show the other day. Is it Mr. Hampton, Fred Hampton? He was the Black Panther. Oh, okay. Hello? Yeah, I know you're talking about And, yeah, he was, he, and something, the Messiah, Judas the Messiah, whatever the show was. And Fred Hampton, one of his key things and why the the FBI or whatever, the, 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 the systems that be wanted to get rid of him was he wasn't just 
going and talking to black people. He was going up to the Appalachian trails and stuff like that to all of those poor people and all those poor white people and talking to them and bringing them together with the poor black people. And the government don't want that because knowledge is power. So my book, I want to reach out to everybody and I want them to look into our world. And then I want us to be able to, I want it to, it to create dialogue. I want us to be able to talk. I don't want people to believe what they look at on TV. You still there? Oh, yeah, because I'm listening to what you're saying, yeah, okay. but I'm also thinking, thinking as well because, you know, knowledge is power, and, and this country has always been threatened at, at you know, to a certain extent, and that's why they they didn't want certain cultures uh, to even be educated or learn how to read, and that's the same movement we see now where they're trying to take certain books out of schools as we speak. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> so, so what have you learned, sir, in the process of you writing your books? Well, I've learned that I've changed as a person as far as my viewpoints on a lot of different things. Um, I learned it's difficult raising it's difficult having grown children i have grown children you know 23 33 and and 30 31 now um and i'm a grandfather so i look at a lot of things differently uh and just life itself because i'm always trying to look back at when i was their age and say oh i was like this oh i was like that but then I have to sit back and go, wait a minute. They didn't ha- I-, I didn't have a father. I didn't have a mother. I didn't have grandparents. I didn't have people who loved me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm always constantly making the comparison. But that's something I learned, you know, just, you know, as I'm getting older. That's something that I- I- I'm learning. And that's a daily process because when you have children and grandchildren, it's not one monolithic person they're all multifaceted because everybody has different personalities so you got to have different you know different uh come at them everybody differently as they say my wife and i say this constantly and here's the saying we'll know about heavy is the head that raised the crown hello yeah we heard you Heavy is the head that wears the crown. That wears the crown. Okay. And that's the life, family, and everything else. That is the question. I mean, sometimes I start rambling, so I don't want to No, no, to. we good because while you're talking, <laughs> man, you know, my mind is also running. And I'm sure our listeners is running too, man, because, again, people could read about life or they could live life. And the person that, that has had certain experiences and know what they're talking about because, they lived it is a lot more powerful than somebody seeing it on TV or reading it somewhere. But my question is, you know, we kind of like kind of skimmed over some things. You know, we went from your first book, but we didn't even really uh, touch about your second and your third one. So how how is um, the second book different from the first? Well, the first book is – 
it's, it's, it's building the character, letting you see where this person comes from, where this individual comes from, um, what he's exposed to, because what a lot of people don't understand is um, our environment and our upbringing is what builds that character, positive or negative. It has a massive influence. So uh, the first book is, 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 is showing where I come from, how I got there, uh, the people around me, and uh, uh, should I say arise because the whole the, the the book series is kind of like a roller coaster, just like life is. So the first book is my rise, my you know rising from from my environment. Well, trying to rise because sometimes when you rise, you have to fall. Um, rising from um, my environment, and then I take a fall. And um, when I take that fall, uh, life hits me back in the face. I mean, it hits me real hard. That's what book two is about. But through adversity, and as they say, when one door closes, another door opens, um, I understand. And now, and this is what the second book is about, if a lot of things didn't take place, I wouldn't have been where I was at Um for the second book And that has to do with the love story And, and sometimes you, you're with people And this is why I'm saying It's a human story It's just not about a ghetto bastard story But a human story Sometimes you're with people And sometimes you break up And then when you break up You realize how good that person was And then you want to get back together But you think you've done a deed That's so you know treacherous Or so bad that they can never get back together with you But you know all things are possible if there's love. So, you know, that's, that's kind of in that second book, too, in this ghetto environment, of course. And then if the second book also deals with the challenges of the ghetto, um, unemployment, um, poverty, uh, uh, HIV, um, and it just shows the struggle of people in the ghetto, how you know, some people, uh, just how you quoted what I was saying before, some people are uh, stuck in the ghetto. They don't want to get out the ghetto. We used to call them ghetto fabulous. So it just speaks about all kinds of people in there. And book three, I don't know if you mentioned that one, but book three is called Life After Death. And Life After Death just brings it all together, and it's about getting out of the ghetto. It's about getting it all together even if you have to die trying to get out of the ghetto, and it speaks about that. And and, it, and and book three just brings it all full circle. And by the time you're done reading book three, they'll be begging for book four because book four is called Ghetto Bastard, The American Dream, and it speaks about the American dream and how this ghetto bastard from – the South Bronx, Mott Haven section of the South Bronx, who didn't have a mother or father or grandparents, didn't have anyone who cared anything about him, was able to achieve the American dream without having to go to jail, without having to kill somebody, without having to pimp some women, without having to do all of the negative connotations that attach with successful black people that come out of the ghetto, you know, besides being an athlete or something like that, you know, an athlete or a rapper. So 
you know, that's the, and, that, and that's you, what they're all about. And, and I heard you say you're not a motivational speaker, but all the time I heard you <laughs> I've been just talking. Uh, yeah, I know. I just heard you talking, but I, I know we have. I know we have uh, uh, some at-risk youth all over the country, bro. All over the country need to hear just what you said. You know what I'm saying? They need to hear that. They need to hear just what you said all over the country. So, well, that's uh, how I started. I mean, that's that's in the book too. I used to work for this place called Youth Energy Corps, and I actually, when I dropped out of high school, I actually joined their job training program. And at that time, that was installing windows. That's the early '80s. That was installing windows. That was a big thing in New York. So they were teaching us how to install windows, and I took that trade and ran with it. And then I ended up becoming like a a, a, a crew leader trainee there. So I just moved up within the company there uh, for a while and helped build the company and, and had the outreach and, and then just was giving people uh, a, 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 a positive outlook and perspective on our troubled youth and, and letting them see that our troubled youth is not just what people see on TV, but our troubled youth are troubled for a reason. And we have to understand that if you give them some structure and some guidance, that you know they won't be so troubled. <laughs> right, right. So that that that's so true, so true. So what 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 are your goals for your for your series? Well, I want to finish up number four, the American Dream, and then I'd like to write book number five, which I want to call Godly Man. And what I'd like to do there is just go kind of through the book and show how God. Has how God intervened in my life. Have if if it wasn't for the grace of God, this would happen. So kind kind of a you know a, 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 just a scenario with showing looking back through the books how God was an influence, how he was he was the influence, God's always been influence. And then my last book is going to be my first novel, and I'm going to call it What If Ghetto Bastard What If. So it's going to tell the stories of the three books, but me making different decisions and different things turning out differently. So it, it'll all be fiction. I will be making up, but it'll be, it, I think it'll be a work of art. It'll be beautiful. Well, it's amazing. Uh, first of all, it's amazing that you was able to uh, maneuver um, through the, through the journey that you had without being caught up and going to jail. Thank God for the grace of God, <laughs> for the grace of God. Because so many, so many do. I mean, so many, you know, get caught up. For the like grace that, of God, know? and 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 you know what's so crazy is people try to say, oh, it's not systematic, and you know I don't want to try to get all political too much and everything, but you know if you got two million, if if black people only make up. Thirty percent of the country, or is it ten percent of the country? It all depends on which day you count. Okay, let's go <laughs> with I'm a, I'm a I think it's ten percent because that means there's about thirty million of us, thirty five million of us. So I'm gonna go. Black people okay. make up ten percent of the country. Okay, so if black people make up ten percent of the country, how do they make up half of the prison population? So when any time people try to speak about 
racism or the system or anything like that. All I'll do is say, I'll throw those statistics and just say, explain that. When you can explain that to me, then we'll say everything is fair across the board. Because there's no way in the world out of a country of 300 million, 300 plus million people that 30 million people make up half the prison population without there being something in effect to make it happen. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree, man. But also, <laughs> hey, look, look, if, hey, look, if, if, if I was playing the devil's advocate, man, I need somebody to make license plates and and handle all the dairy and produce all the furniture for the military, man. I need workers, man, for that. Where else can I get workers, man, and pay them a dollar a day, man? Come on. And who can't vote? When <laughs> yeah, and who can't vote? <laughs> <laughs> and who can't own firearms? When they get out, uh, <laughs> uh, you understand. So I understand that, and I see that because some people would go, oh, "You can't do that." No, there's a whole lot of things you can't do, and it's a, it's, it's kind of like, and, and 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 here's just another way. And you know, I don't want to get too conspiracy theorists or anything like that, but it's the same way with student loan debt. When rich people go to college, they don't come out of school in debt. Debt is poverty. So when most minorities, I say most, not all, because I want people to say, oh, he said all of them and put me, you know, and put it on the blanket. But when most minority children come out of college, they are in debt. Wow. Debt begins poverty. When you come out like that, they have no con. Their thing is, let me get a job so I can start paying off this debt. Then they start getting to a habit of paying that debt. They get on a job that they don't like, they don't want to work at, and they're miserable because they got to pay that debt. Rich people come out of college debt-free, connections, job opportunities. See, that's the systematic um, That's the systematic racism there. But it's not racism against, per se, black people. It's racism against poor people. Your opinion? Hey, yeah, well, if I was one of them, well, <laughs> first of all, we call it bankruptcy. They call it debt restructuring. So yes. <laughs> they call yes. it debt restructuring. Hey, man, but look, yes. we're going to say that for a whole other show. So listen, yeah. how many how many books do you see in your series, man? Six altogether. Yeah, the what if will be the last one. So I'm working on number four, the American dream. Like I said, uh, number five will be ghetto bastard, the godly man. And the last one will be ghetto bastard. What if? So the one and two, you know, builds the foundation. Number three brings it all together. And then number four just shows you know, opportunity and where we can go and just reaching for the stars. And number five shows the spiritual aspect of it, how God is involved in all of it, that you don't do anything on your own. And if any time you sit there and you look in the mirror and you think that you do something on your own, you're delusional, you know. And then, like I said, number six will be my first novel, and that's going to be the what if. And it's going to take all the characters from the, the, the first three books, first four books, and bring them all together in a fictional manner. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
So that hopefully that's what the future holds. <laughs> uh, well, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully this COVID stuff will all be lifted. I can start going back on my book tours and I can hit Canada, maybe a couple other countries and stuff like that. Because, you know, a lot of foreign people are interested in the the, the black culture. But they're getting that buffoonery black culture. They're not getting the real black culture. You know what I mean? You know, they're getting the hip-hop pants, pants. You know they, you know what I'm saying. Right. I don't want to start putting right. that down. But they're getting that kind of. I want them to see the real, the human, you know, the real black people, the real culture. You know, and that's why I'm, I'm proud of the title because a lot of people go, like, well, why would you name it that? What do you mean? Well, I know it's a sensational title, but listen, I am from the ghetto and I'm a bastard child, so I'm just screaming it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, you doing? Well, you definitely, definitely doing some good work. I'm not going to even ask you. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. The question I have is like, uh, does your family support your career as a writer? But I already know your, your your queen is your number one everything. So how's the rest of your family t- uh, supporting you? You know, I don't know if you have grown kids or not. So I'm gonna say like I do. This old people. I do. Okay, you know, you got to be real careful. Okay, because you know, you have to write and you got to speak the truth. I'm not gonna sit here and start lying because I'm 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 writing a memoir. So I can't sit here and lollygag and, and sugarcoat something. If you if you want to make a difference, if you want to have an impact, you have to speak the truth. And sometimes, I mean, I'm speaking my truth. You have to speak that truth, that gut-wrenching, hard-to-talk-about truth. Me, I got to put my stuff out there. But now you got to remember my truth and what was going on a lot was with their mother's in relationships before they were born. So then sometimes, you know, they'll never admit it, but sometimes I see it in their little thing. They get a little sensitive that you're saying something about their mommy. You know, whether it be the truth or not, they get a little sensitive. Or they're young and they're doing things that teenagers do. And then when they become 30 or so, they look back and go, oh, when I was a teenager, I did that. But when they were a teenager, they don't understand the stuff that they're doing. They'll fight you tooth and nail to tell you, you know, that they're right. So it's kind of like that with the teen, with, with my grown children. I have to be able to speak my truth and speak that raw truth and try not to offend them. But now I didn't realize that till after book three. So being a little more careful with book four, should I say. <laughs> hey, it, it took you know, me till three to realize that I'm like, wow, they got it. These, these kids, are, they got kids, oh boy, these are grown people. I'm like, they look like they got some issues. Or like, one time I had my daughter like reading excerpts as I was writing them, and I guess I wrote something about the time and whatever happened, man. And then I noticed the next day she had like a little attitude, you know. I was like, oh boy, now I got to be careful. And then that limits. Your art, your, your artistic ability. You know what I mean. Now you got to be thinking what this person's gonna feel if you're writing this, and then like you said, this might be able to affect somebody else differently who might be able to see what happened to me and blah blah blah. But now I'm sitting here worried about them. So you know, it's a double-edged sword. So I take it right. as I'm writing it, and something comes up about them, I sit back and see how much I gotta gloss over it, 
or something like my editor said when I was writing my first book and I would get too much into a particular character or a particular person, they would say, listen, that book ain't about them. That book's about you. You know what I mean? So less about them and more about me. So I kind of try to focus on that to, you know, help navigate through this little family tree. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, no matter what, you can't say nothing bad about the mama. You already know that, so... <laughs> Oh no, Mama. Well, listen. You know, I was, you know, and I wasn't saying per se, but you know, if you're talking about a relationship, and I mean, we've had relationships, and you're talking about because relationships break up for a reason. People just don't break up. You know what I mean? They just don't wake up and look at the person next to them and say, "Yeah, you know what? I don't want to be with you no more." It don't work like that. You know what I mean? There's a process. And if you know any kind of relationships from the ghetto, it ain't just I'm leaving. You know what I mean? There's a whole <laughs> it could take six months to break up. <laughs> hey, look, and how many? Hey, look, and how many broken windows, clothes thrown out of oh, the window? Yeah. Oh yeah, you okay. Know, police coming and, to the house, right? Oh my goodness! And, and, oh, please give me flashbacks. So you know, our children do not understand that as children, as teenagers, until they get into an emotional relationship. Because when you're dealing with stuff like that, it's emotions. Right. And the majority of us, as we become older, we learn to control our emotions much better. Now, when we're younger, and especially coming from the ghetto, especially not having a man to teach you, it's no guidance, no parent role models to show you how to fight and stuff like that. You looking at stuff, reminding you, you know, you looking at Shaft smacking his woman saying, shut up, bitch. You know, excuse me, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but... You look right. at that, that stuff thinking, that's the macho man. That's what you do. You grab a woman, you shake her. Yeah, no, dude, you don't do that kind of stuff. But if you don't know that, you learn to trial and error. So, you know, unfortunately, that, that that's what happens with us and stuff like that. So, oh, I understand. Know, it is what it is. <laughs> that's a lot of that. Again, that's the normal for a lot of kids in America. I mean, that's the... That's the dysfunctional situation they live in, and I'm careful with that word dysfunctional because sometimes dysfunctional is somebody else's normal. You know, we think it's dysfunctional based on how we live, but absolutely, you know, that's that's other people's normal. You know, because I heard you know a couple of chicks, matter of fact, on this show, they don't feel like they do love them unless he slapped them upside the head once in a while. Been there, done that, though, and then it got to the point <laughs> you was accommodating. You was wait. You was accommodating them, and then it got to a point you didn't care enough to hit them. Uh, I don't want to touch they, you. Yeah, I know. They uh, come in, they be like, you know, you want to hit me. You be like, I don't even want to look at you. I just want to get the hell out of here. You, you know what I mean? It, it's been like that. You know. So I understand that. You know, like like you said, you you the the the, the word dysfunction. Yeah, you got to use it carefully because I think. Me, myself, growing up, very dysfunctional as far as what I thought or what I saw was a family, you know. But one thing, though, I can just say, you know, even in my books, there was always that yearning. I don't know if it was what, and I mean, it's just something from the heart. I yearned to have a wife. I wanted that woman that I could love and I knew loved me and was going to be in my corner. I was seeking that. Unfortunately, what happened was when I found it, I found it so young, but didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to keep it. Didn't know how to love it. Didn't know how to respect it. Didn't know how to cherish it. Didn't know how to put it on the pedestal because no one taught me how to do that. So then I had to lose it 
see all that other stuff that was out here, the stuff that's not queen material, and you know what I mean. Right. And after that, I was begging the queen. I was pleased. I can't be a king until I get my queen back. So the book talks about that also. <laughs> like I said, it's a love story also. So, I mean, it's, it's just humanizing it. But, I mean, it goes with just everything that you're saying. And um, I think also what you're saying, and, and just you were saying about your title also, it talks, it's going old school. It's, you know, can a player play, you know, it's teaching these young men out here who are misguided. Is giving them some guidance, something that they can look to, something that they can look at and say, oh, I've been there. I understand. I don't think really there's too much out there. Everything out there right now is spinning that negative narrative of, you know, imagery of our people. And I just want my books right. to make a difference in that. And that's what's powerful, man, because it, it really is important that each one teach one. And I hope that's what uh, we're doing on this platform that I have, hopefully we're educating and touching some people out there so some way, somehow it could enhance their lives, you know, in a, in a positive direction. Well, man, listen, tell everybody how, where they can go get your book, man, because time be flying when you be having fun. Well, you can go, I have a website, ghettobastard.com, and if you want to get the first episode of the first chapter, there's a little television there that a lady will read the, the first chapter for you, so that's ghettobastard.com, and you can also go to Amazon and look, you know, Russell Van, and uh, one, two, and three are popped up there, that's Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, Van, V-A-N-N, and um, it's, it's up there, man, and you know, I'm just, I hope people will pick it up, read it, and I hope it will really uplift people and, and just give them hope. And, and for, like I said, people that don't understand the ghetto or want more knowledgeable and really want to put a human face on the ghetto, go up there and pick that up on Amazon or ghettobastard.com. Absolutely. And uh, I ain't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. We'll be looking for our autographed copy, man, so, you know, we can make sure that we read Oh, man, send me the well. link, man. I'll send that to you, man. I'll get that to you. No problem. No problem. Absolutely. Love Absolutely, it. man. For sure, for sure. Yeah, we know you will. Absolutely, man. We appreciate it and definitely appreciate you taking time to come through, man, chop it up with us. And, again, I'm sure your testimony, your journey is going to touch some people out there, and that's what we're all about, man. Each one, teach one, man. You're doing a fantastic job out there, man. And you are a, mo hey, look, and you are a motivational speaker. I don't care what you say. <laughs> You'll live to God's ears. <laughs> Thank you. Yes sir. yes, sir, man. You be safe out there, man, and uh, 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 t tell your queen, continue to crack the whip. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. You take care. All right. All right, everybody. You know what I like to say. You know, if you don't know where you can hear this show, you know, ask the lady across the street, ask your neighbor, ask the milkman, ask the guy at the corner. Somebody should be able to tell you where you can hear the show. So you ain't got no excuse not to hear the show in its entirety. And uh, much respect, and we'll see you guys next week at the same time, 2.30 PST. Be safe. Hey, I'm Savin Gavia, and you are now listening to Can I Play a Play live every Sunday at 2.30. Can a player play? Sex, love, relationships, and politics. 
hosted by Lamont and Diddy Patterson. Every Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join in in the conversation. Call 646-ARIA-CODE 929-2872.